in case you're wondering what the challenges are as conservative Bible-believing Christians, this is called the Sparkle Creed, read in a church in Minneapolis in the not-too-distant past. This is the creed they read. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of glorious diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the call to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. So that is what is, is happening in some churches across America today. I will have to say... Uh, the Lutherans who read that were very affronted by that. It's not what a lot of the normal conservative Lutherans, and they were very unhappy that that was read in a Lutheran church. But that's why we have to stick with this. So if I'm pastoring or someone else pastors here, whoever pastors until the Lord comes back, this has got to be the centerpiece as it was when Mr. Romick and Mrs. Dickens and other family members started the church. And uh, I'm not sure all of that, but thank you for the men and ladies who started the church. And this was the, this was the keynote, I'm sure, uh, with, with that. And so, uh, anyway, we're thankful for all those who did that. Uh, we're in Job 38. We're going to read the first seven verses, and then we will pray and go from there. Job 38, if you would there, please. Perhaps the oldest book written uh, in Scripture. Uh, now, why would you say that? Because Moses put together the Pentateuch, and Moses is about 1400, approximately, B.C. Job is about contemporary with Abraham, 1900s to 2000 B.C., in that general neighborhood. So Mo- Job writes closest to the flood. And so uh, that's why he's going to have a lot. It has more talking about weather things, cold, snow and ice, than any other book of the Bible. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee, and answer thou me. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? We are in Job 38, verse 6. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who hath laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Tonight is when the morning stars sang. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, pray that you bless the reading of your word to our hearts. May I say nothing amiss. May your word find lodging. May we be challenged, encouraged, and I want to say brought up short, perhaps, if needed. (laughs) regarding just who you are and who we are. And so we help Job as brought up short in these chapters we're going to look at over the next few weeks. And Lord, help us to think clearly. May I speak uh, what you'd have me to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
Now, this book of Job, Martin Luther said, more magnificent and sublime than any other book of Scripture. A writer, Moorhead, said the book of Job is one of the most noblest poems in existence. Carlyle said, I call Job one of the grandest ever written with pen. And Alfred Lloyd Tennyson said of Job, the greatest poem, whether of ancient or modern literature. So Job is quite the poem. We've been going through it now for 33 sermons. This is message 33. We're up to 38. And we find in Job 38.1, God speaks to Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. That is the capital L-O-R-D. We now know from at least this morning, that is the tetragrammaton, the Y-H-W-H-J-H-V-H, the name of God transliterated in four letters. And then we add the vowel points to make it Yahweh or Jehovah. So that is what this capital L-O-R-D is. Uh, God will then indeed settle the dispute. We find that David's three, David's three, Job's David did have three friends. Didn't he have three friends? He had a lot of friends, but three friends that went to Bethlehem and got the water. Wasn't that three friends? Yes. Job's three friends who started with him as friendship on the beginning of the chapter were hoping that God would recognize Job's error and make what they said right. Job wanted uh, to show that he was right, but God's not going to satisfy either of their expectations here. He does not answer Job's questions, obviously does not answer them. This whirlwind we find is the whirlwind, perhaps the one that Elihu saw earlier on. We've talked about that in the past. In verse 3, it is imperative, gird up now thy loins. He did not expect them to know what they did not know. When we stand before God, it's going to be, moreover, is required in Stewards, that a man be found faithful. So you're not going to be found faithful. I, I was telling my wife, uh, I'm just being prepared at different times. I said, you know, if the largest church in America said, I want you to come pastors, I have no desire to pastor the largest. I, 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 just, I just, I want to do what God has called me to do. He's called me here at this point, and I, I'm content here as long as God has me here. And so that is it. I just, uh, pastoring's a difficult thing. Can you imagine pastoring a Adrian Rogers Church had 26,000 members when I visited there. 26,000 members. It's like, that's just, I had 24 full-time men on the staff as pastors, 24 auxiliary pastors on staff. That's just, that's like a little city. I, I, I've noticed, I just want, again, my little holler and little books to read and a fishing pole and a cane pole and a bobber and a worm on the hook from Sunday school. I actually want to have a worm to put on that hook there uh, so I can catch something. Because I don't want to be, well, that, that is deceptive anyway. I guess I put my hook down there, not deceiving people. By the way, a pike, you can almost do a bear hook and a pike will almost, if you have a little flash on it, a pike will almost hit a bear hook. They have no more sense than that. Shall I get back to the message? We shall. The gird up, it's sort of like today, we'd be like, man up, sir. Pull up your bootstraps. Be a man about this. That's the idea, I think. Um, uh, Pastor Morgan says, when a man acts like a man, God can speak to him and he to God. This is a declaration, he says, of dignity, not one of accusation. The questions God has for Job were simply unanswerable and were meant to show Job that he really had no place to demand answers from God, yet to see the appearance of Job to God to Job only as a rebuke. I think it's a grave mistake. God has appeared to Job. That's some pretty rarefied air. For God to appear to someone and talk to someone, he appears to us, I'm telling you, that's a rarefied air that if he appears before us. And so God, just think someday he's going to walk with me and he talks with me and tells me I'm one of his own. That, and that's going to be the very first time you ever have that happen to you in heaven. It's going to be like, <sighs> won't that be amazing? Amen. Won't that be amazing? It is. It will be. 
So Job's greatest agony was that he felt that God had abandoned him. But now God's speaking to him. And he knew, knows now that God has not abandoned him. And like any true revelation of God, there were plenty of elements that would make Job feel small before the greatness of God, as it should, we should feel. Yet it could not take away from him the massive comfort of Job that God is talking to him. And the presence of God. Smick says, Job learned through the theophany that God had not abandoned him, and it gradually dawned on Job that without knowing why he was suffering, he could face it so long as he was assured that God was his friend. As God's my friend, you and I can do whatever. Just as now it is Jesus and me for each tomorrow. It is. Anderson says that God speaks at all is enough for Job. All he needs to know is that everything is still all right between himself and God. Can't you, isn't that the most important thing? If I've got peace with God, then we can go forward. God and I, my God and I walk through the, I've read a pretty song too. I don't know why i got songs in my head. To that extent, it does not matter. He says how much or what they talk about. He says any topic will do for a satisfying conversation between friends. It is each other they are enjoying. And I thought that was a wonderful statement. It is each other they are enjoying. God is talking to Job. And Job is now, he's got some hard things to answer, things impossible to answer. And he's going to be brought short on what he has done, but still God's talking to him. And if the specific and ultimate reason for this suffering had been revealed to Job, even at this point, the value of the account as a value to others would must, who must suffer in ignorance would have been diminished if not canceled. In other words, if God tells Job why he's doing this, see, that's the beauty of Job not knowing. Do you realize that that's beauty for us today? That Job didn't know and Job still trusted. Oh, there it is right there. We can do, with God's help, we can do similarly, right? If he says, well now, Job only reason, and if he told all the details, that just, well, that didn't apply to me now because Job did it for that. Job knew about it all. Job didn't know about anything, and yet still Job trusted. So now in 2023, we can learn from that. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Trust, never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God has shown you in the light. Verse 2. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Now, I will have to say, there's been, we are replete today with words without knowledge. You just look at any Facebook post of any length of time, and you will see there's a plethora of words without knowledge. Be careful what you post, and please do not ever post anything that has OMG on it. Please don't ever pass along that. I don't care how nice it is. Retake the picture, crop that out, but don't pass OMG along, period. That is a, a, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. That's what it is. So be careful. Oh, be careful, little bums, what you text. Because you're never going to know what happens next. And so we find there, this, this, you, there's a lot of empty air that there's these, all these talking heads. You might as well turn them off. I tell you, I'm happier when I don't listen to news so much. I keep up with the headlines. I really try to do that to know what's going on in the world, especially with Israel. But sometimes, it, Barnes says, words that did not contain a true explanation of the difficulty. They convey no light about his dealings. They did not tend to satisfy the mind or to make the subject more clear than it was before. There is much of this kind of speaking in the world, much that is written and much that falls from the lips in debate, in preaching, and in conversation. 
that explains nothing and that even leaves the subject more perplexed than it was before. We see that from this verse that God does not and cannot approve of such words. Who dark is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Verse 3, gird up thy loins like a man. For I will demand of thee an answer thou mean. The gird up the loins was in that day, as you well know, they had a belt. And so when they were going to run or they were going to fight or they were going to labor, they took their, and they rolled up their, and put it in their belt. That way they stuffed their robe in their belt. So they have a lot more freedom of movement. You can picture, if you, I would just picture for just a moment, the, the prodigal son. The father looking for the son. He sees the son and he ran. He would have had to roll up his robes and stuff it. And no man of dignity ever ran anywhere. But this father, when he saw the son come home, laid aside his dignity and ran to greet the son and kissed him and welcomed him home. What a picture. The, the, it's, it's, I think that story is about the wonderful father far more than the prodigal son. Do you see that? I trust you see that. Now, there's a prodigal son, but there's a wonderful father who's watching for him and ran to him and welcomed him home. Welcome home, children. It's, we find this, this one of the most impressive and ways to dismantle your debate opposite is interrogation. And God's going to use this very venue right here instead of Circio and his most famous debate that it began with a multitude of short questions closely pressed upon each other. Do you like cats? Do you know how to feed cats? Do you, know how, do you even know how to change the cat pan? Do you even know what cats like? Do you know how to spank the cat? Do you know how to get along with cats? Do you know how, what cats like to sleep in? Do you, like the, do you have an electric blanket to put over the, by the window so they can sleep in an electric blanket? Do you have all those things? And hopefully a person will be, oh, I'm never getting a cat after that. One my point. There we go. So that interrogation, short bursting sentences. This is what God does to Mr. Job. And it's a wonderful thing. So Job, Job, Job's views of God were changed by what God says. So God speaks to Job, number one. Number two. God questions Job regarding what he does not know. And we have about eight of these things as we finish up. Okay, finishing up is the last 15 minutes, okay? So don't think, oh, you're about done. No, I'm not about done. Oceanography, by the way, you know what cosmology is? Does anyone, can you honestly say, yes, we have one shaking their head, cosmology? That's the origin of the universe, cosmology. God talks to him about uh, spectroscopy, astronomy, meteorology, oceanic, oceanic hydrology, oceanography, geology, cosmology. He speaks to Job about all these things. I'm telling you, I am thinking, if you could put every single person, every single sister, every single American standing before God, and God does this, and you're standing there, and God's asking you all these questions, I'm telling you, it would help us with our arrogance for just a moment. I think every, every, okay, and I'd be like cringing further. And where is the nearest thing I can duck behind? Where were you? The bar, were you there? That's part of what he asked Joe. Were you there? Knowledge, do you know? Experience, have you? Control, can you? So number one, under number two, do you know the secrets of the creation of the world, starting in verse four through verse seven? Verse four, where? Wast thou, when I laid the foundations of the earth, 
declare if thou hast understanding. Now, the intention is obvious. Job was nowhere to be found. By the way, neither were you, I. When God laid the foundations of the earth, he, God was ancient in his power, wisdom, and might. And Job could never even be considered to be on the same level as God, nor can we. Not the same look. We'll never, ever, ever, never, ever be like God in mind. We'll have an everlasting body like Jesus. Yes. But those, those who are, the, the Mormon ideology that we'll become gods like the Father is now is so blasphemous. We will never, ever. So the idea is, Job, if you cannot answer these questions, then you are not fit to question me. Boom. Case over. One question. If, you're not, if you can't answer him, then why are you questioning me, Job? He was simply overwhelmed by the mysteries and paradoxes for which he had no answers. But in the midst of all, he came to understand what was too good to be told, that God knows what he's doing in the universe. I was being a little bit snarky today. and I was thinking about a person who told me a couple weeks ago they were just too busy to come to church on Sunday. I'm thinking, I'm thinking uh, that, well, I'm glad God's not too busy. I mean, all he's doing is upholding everything by the word of his power, keeping track of over 8 billion people and the fleas on the 8 billion thousand dogs and cats around. He's doing all these things at once, and he's not too busy when you call upon him. Call upon me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Call upon him. I'm just so busy. If you're too busy for God, can I just tell you, Christian, you're way too busy. God gives you enough time for what he wants you to do in your day for you to spend time with him. If you have no time to spend with him because you're too busy, you're doing too many things. Just cut back on something. There are things you can cut back on. Let me just tell you. There are some things you can come back on and put God first and foremost and preeminent in our lives. Do that. What a great truth in verse 4. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? There's no question. It, God declares of himself that he is the creator, designer, and all that. It's either you say yes or no, but the, the, you cannot deny the fact that he says he did it. Now it is your choice to say, yes, I believe it, or no, I reject it. And sad to say, the predominant belief in America today is evolution which has no basis in reality. It is still the theory of evolution, debunked and disproved on so many times, but they think now it's gone somehow bypassed from theory to truth. What a rebuke to all those who want to say uniformitarianism. Now that's a big word. That's my, well, the biggest word I've used probably this week, uniformitarianism. That is to believe that as is now, has always been in the past. So we look at today's world and we look and see how things are acting. And so in billions, millions, and perhaps billions of years, it has always been the same. It does not allow for a flood. Isn't that convenient? Uniformitarianism, as it is now, it always has been. There's been this consistency that flies in the face of what the Bible has said. It allows for these supposed millions of ages of geologic columns. And again, Genesis chapter 1 clears up what a day is. Now, you may not agree with it, but God says clearly what it is. And you may try to hem-haul around it and find some kind of, well, somewhere in the Bible, the word day is not used for 24. Yeah, somewhere in the Bible, but not in Genesis 1. Read it for yourself. It is the law of first mention of Scripture. The day is 24 literal hour period. It's done. 
it's settled. Now what you do with it and try to, please don't try to work around it. And why is it you're working around? Well, well, man, I I, I just read some scientist said somewhere that we're billions of years old. Scientists are God. Just just make your choice. And please, it is like putting, putting, not pudding, but putting uh, tartar sauce in my biscuits. They just don't mix. They just don't mix. Now, I tried Mr. Lauderdale's recipe. I've been for years using uh, Crisco, a quarter cup of Crisco. He said, Pastor Tim, I put a stick of butter in my biscuits. <sighs> I have to say, it's not a bad idea. Can I tell you, though, please don't melt your butter before you put it in the biscuits because you can never get it hard to, to make the lump for the dough. And so, anyway, so just, just, like a, just ground the butter up, you know, and put it in like it frozen or cold like it is, and then make your biscuits. And then you can form a biscuit. Otherwise, you're going to be putting so much flour in there. It's like, woo, 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 woo. Back to track. Here we go. Laying there, when I laid, it's like the, the cornerstone settling down firmly in the clay. Why is it that on earth that things just don't start protruding more and more and more? Why doesn't the mountains get higher? Why don't they get, why is it Mount Everest now 85,000 feet? Why, why don't they grow? Why don't they get, God's got a plan called gravity. That motion keeps everything in place, keeps our earth in place. God's got it all under control. The sun's coming up in the morning. The morning sun's coming up in the morning. It is. Because, matter of fact, the Bible says, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 8, 22, that seed time, harvest, snow, rain, winter, all these things are continue on until I change, change the things. God said so. What a wonderful thing it is. If you have understanding... If you have a, if I'm the host, Job, declare what has happened. If you know, you, you've been asking about my, the administration I have over things. Well, you declare, Job, if you know, verse 5, who hath laid the t- measures thereof, if thou knowest, who hath stretched the line upon it. The expression is wholly ironical, if you would, and is designed to rebuke Job's pretensions of being able to explain God's actions. Verse 6, whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof? From the beginning, God has planned His creation to be a garden of beautiful joy, but it is sin has turned it. Can you imagine if it had been in the Garden of Eden? What a wonderful thing that would have been. But now we have turned that through the sin of mankind into a battlefield. It's ugliness. Now, there's still a lot of beauty yet. But mankind is evil. We're just evil. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. That's... We just, if we're left to ourselves, can you think of any society, just for a moment, that was left to themselves and ignored God? Hmm. Genesis chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, only about 1,600 years after the Garden of Eden and the fall of mankind, in 1,600 years, the whole earth is corrupted and we've got to send a big flood. Think about society, America, who is jettisoning God from their minds and mindset and where we are going. We've, it is, it, is it not blow your mind how far we've digressed and descended in such a short period of time? I like what the Mahatma Gandhi, I would not necessarily quote from him, but he said these words, 
regarding man. He says, there is a sufficiency in the world for man's need, but not for man's greed. And that is true. Greed is people. There, there's this, this massive idea of, I can do what I want to do. The, 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 there was a contest one day, you may have heard it, about the scientists got together decided that man has come so long that we, we don't even need God anymore. So they said, you go talk to him. And so they picked one some scientist to go talk to God. And the scientist walked up to God and said, God, we decided that we no longer need you. We're to the point that we can clone people and we can do miraculous things. And so we don't go, well, we've got an iPhone 15 now, which we can do whatever we want to with. So God listened patiently and kindly to the man. And after the scientist was done talking, God said, very well. Well, how about this? Let's say we have a man-making contest to which the scientist replied, okay, that's great. But God added, now we're going to go do this thing like we did back in the old days with Adam. And the scientist said, sure, no problem. And he bit down and grabbed a handful of dirt. And God goes, no, no, get your own dirt. Get your own dirt. When the morning stars sang together, that word singing means to give a ringing cry, a joy, exaltation, when the morning stars sang together and all, all the sons of God shouted for joy. Can you tell me now what principle I'm going to try to ascertain regarding Satan and his fall and this verse in Genesis 3? Can you put it together for me real quickly? Connect the dots. All the sons of God are shouting for joy. All. So my thinking is between Genesis 2 and 3, at some point in time we have the record or Satan actually ascended, wanted to ascend to the highest. God knew before he even said a word. Let me ask, did God know before Satan said a word? Yes, he did. Out goes Satan, down to the earth he comes, and we have Genesis chapter 3. Why would I? Oh, but haven't angels always been, Pastor? Now, you may think that, and I'm not going to quibble over you. I think the Bible would say no. I think they are, we know they are created, and they are eternal, only God is eternal, having always been. We're not going to give, I'm not going to give, and I trust you're not going to give the eternality of God to angels. They are created for ministering spirits. If there are no people on earth, why do we have to need angels for? And they not created ministering spirits for us? Yes. Day one or two. Why would you say that? Pass even day three. Let's look at back to Genesis chapter one. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Time's already flown away. Genesis chapter one, nine and ten, please. This is chapter 1, 9, and 10. I was planning on doing all of chapter 38 tonight. Oh, my goodness. Gracious, granny. I can see my grandma chaining. Say, now, Tim, I did not understand a word you said. Can you please slow down? <laughs> yes, grandma Cheney. Yes, ma'am. Uh, we, can, we can do that. Her favorite song was sitting at the feet of Jesus. That was her favorite song. Genesis 1, 9 and 10. We are in day, mm -hmm, day 3. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. Day 3. So now maybe even want to back up to day 2. But I'm telling you, I really believe that the angels were created on day one or two of creation week by personal belief, and that here they can all shout for joy when God laid the foundations of the earth because they all were still righteous. All the sons of God shouted for joy, and what a wonderful thing it was. Can you imagine angel choirs singing like that? So do you know the secrets of creation world? Secondly, do you know the boundaries of the sea? 8, 9, 10, and 11. 
Mm -hmm. right, we're back over here to, to uh, what did I say, Genesis, Exodus. I'm actually in Job, chapter 38, and we will have to stop. My wagons, my, the cows are moving in the back. The horses are complaining about pulling the wagon. I'm going to unhitch it here soon, very, very soon. Who Or who shut up the sea, 38.8, with the doors when it break forth? as if it had issued out of the womb. Now, just for a moment, what is this talking about? Now, you can tell me this. I know a little bit different tonight. When did the sea break forth as if shut from the womb and when were all this water, water out of control? Who, who guided all of that? Genesis chapter 6, 7, 8. The flood. Exactly. Very good. The flood. When it broke forth, the great flood, the mighty waters breaking forth from, from the skies and the subterranean Deep, I believe then when the flood came, the windows of heaven, chapter 7, we'll close with this, chapter 7 please, if you would please, dialing fingers over to chapter 7 of Genesis, Genesis 7, and we will, 1, 7, and 7, 11. Keep the store about that in your mind, 1, 7, and 7, 11. I am sorry, I am just uh, without excuse tonight. Genesis 1, 7, and God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament, which the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. So what is that above the firmament called? The vapor canopy. Why they lived to be 969 years old, 962 years. Adam lived to be 900 and 930. Very good, 930. Because the climate was, by the way, climate controlled. They're all... Storage buildings are climate controlled. Some are controlled by a thermostat inside and the rest are controlled by the climate on the outside. So they are truly climate controlled. Chapter 7, verse 11. I had too much Diet Mountain Dew today. I say something's wrong. Now here's the point. Breaking forth from Job 38.8 to Genesis 7.11. What is the best commentary on the Bible? The Bible. Thank you. Are we in a class tonight? In the second, sixth hundredth year of Noah's life, how old was he when he started having his three sons? 500. Good. Shem, Ham, and Japheth from this morning. In the second month, in the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. I believe the reason that so much water precipitated on the earth for the flood was not only the bombastic from underneath, it was the collapsing of the, of the air, of, of the clouds and the skies and that vapor canopy. <laughs> Why is it that the rains only give so much moisture? Because God has designed it that at a certain point they cannot hold that moisture and here it comes. Otherwise they keep it up there until... And they've been, they've been pretty good at keeping. I don't know if there's a safe up there right now for our area or not, but they've been keeping the moisture up there a lot. Now, we've had a little bit today, but God designed that. Here in the flood, he designed for the windows to open, the flood came, and God's greater than all of us and will forever be. And he's saying, where were you? And I would ask us as we close, where are we? And yet God loves us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. May we rejoice in our wonderful God. Let's pray. 
Lord, we're just thankful tonight for your blessings upon us. We thank you for the truth of your word. May we this week have opportunity to share the wonderful news of salvation in Christ and that you are the omnipotent God, joy to the world. The Lord is come and he rules the world with truth and grace. We so look forward to that. Lord, may we be about your business this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.